verse 35 to 45, Mark chapter 10, verse 35 to 45. This is the section that we are focusing on this morning. Um, the, the title for the sermon is The High Cost of Finishing First. The High Cost of Finishing First. Let us um, read from the Word of God, the Mark chapter 10, verse 35 to 45, and then we are going to um, go to God's Word. Before that, I'm forgetting, yesterday we had a, a conference in, in, in Florida, a Baptist Church, and they sent me an email uh, saying I should thank the church. Um, we um, had a good uh, fellowship with the believers that site. Um, we had uh, um, the leaders, some of the leaders of the youth uh, with us, Lorato and Tando. We had Joanne and the kids and, and the other uh, kids that she came with. Um, it was a blessing. Uh, to be there to um, hear the word of God from um, the other brothers. I'm forgetting their names. I'm, I'm just uh, remembering Joseph Gage. Uh, you, you, you all know um, uh, Jeff Gage. Uh, his son was also a speaker there, including myself. So it was a blessing, um, and they send their greetings, uh, the church in Florida, and they pray for you. Um, so let us... Uh, go to God's word, Mark chapter 10, verse 35, up until verse 45. This is God's word. Let us hear him. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at, at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when they turn headed, they began to be indignant that James and John and Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know, that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. You know that those who um, are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is God's word the high cost of finishing well. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord and God, we thank you for your grace and your love. We thank you for your word. And we pray that you use your word to work in our hearts, to draw us to yourself, to give us hearts that honor you and love you, that your name will be glorified above all. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen. 
the high cost of finishing first, not finishing well. I once heard uh, the story of a rice farmer who saved an entire village from destruction. The, the, the context of the story will be different, but I think you, we will understand um, the, the story. So th this farmer saved an entire village from destruction. So from his hilltop farm, he felt the earthquake and saw the distant ocean swiftly withdraw from the ocean line, from the shoreline. He knew that a tidal wave was coming. He, he could see that a tidal wave was coming and, and that the village was in danger. In the valley below, he saw his neighbors working low fields that would soon be flooded. They, they must run quickly to his hilltop or they all will die. Now in the season, in this time, his rice barns were dry as tinder and they were ready. So with a torch, he set fire to his barns, and soon the fire, um, the fire gong started ringing. They, they, they started, uh, you know, calling for help. And as the people, his neighbors, saw the smoke, they rushed to help him. Then from the safe patch, they saw the tidal wave wash off the fields they had just left. In a flash, they knew not only who had saved them, but what their salvation had caused their benefactor. They later erected a monument to his memory bearing the motto, he gave us all he had and he gave gladly. This poor farmer finished first in the eyes of his community, but it cost him everything he had. There are not many people in our world like that farmer today. He willingly sacrificed himself that others might succeed. Most people do everything they can to better themselves and think nothing of people they step on behind as they climb to the top of the heap. This text is designed to teach us the truth that not everyone who finishes first is victorious. Sometimes those who take the last seat those who willingly finish last are the real winners in the game of life. I think it is clear from reading the Gospels that our Lord's disciples were anything but humble men. They were always in the business of trying to promote themselves. Or on several occasions, Jesus sought to combat that mentality. But they never seemed to get the message. In this passage, we, are, we see selfish ambition in all of its ugliness. James and John come to Jesus and, and, and are asking for the top seat in the kingdom. Jesus uses this event to teach us all some valuable lessons about leadership, about service to others, and about forgiveness. As we move through the text this, this morning, I want to preach on the high cost of finishing first. I want you to see the thoughts that come out of this passage, and I want you to see first a selfish petition, second, a somber proclamation, and thirdly, a spiritual pattern. As we consider these thoughts, I hope you will see that first, being first can cost you all you have. And I want you to see that being a servant to others is more of a blessing in the end 
than being served by others. First of all, let us look at that selfish petition, and we see it in verse 35 uh, to verse 40. Now, now look at verse 35 to, to verse 37. We see here in these verses the request. We see the request. James and John approach Jesus asking that they will be allowed to sit with him in the highest positions of his kingdom. The right-hand seat was reserved for the person who was second in rank, while the left hand was reserved for the person who was third in rank. These men saw themselves as leaders among the disciples, and they wanted their positions made permanent. They were literally asking for three things. First of all, they wanted preeminence. They wanted the glory and honor that came from being elevated to a throne. Secondly, they wanted proximity, that they wanted to be close to Jesus in the kingdom. Thirdly, they also wanted power. These men wanted to have positions of great authority in the coming kingdom. They, 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 what made them think that they could ask for such things? Well, there are several reasons why they, 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 they uh, thought they could make such a request. First, they based their request on the, their relationship to Jesus. Matthew tells us that Salome, their mother, made the request first in Matthew chapter 20, verse, chapter 20, verse 20 and 21. Salome was uh, Mary's sister. Thus, she was the aunt of Jesus, and jo James and John were his first cousins. They appealed to their relationship as family. Nepotism, right? We are family, so give us the positions. Second, they were merely claiming the promises uh, they had been made. Matthew 19, verse 28, these men had been promised thrones, power, position in the kingdom, and they were making a claim on that promise. Uh, that may be why Jesus did not rebuke them for their request. They were asking for what would be given to them, but they did not understand the lost timing in the matter. Let, let's note this. What, what, what bothers me about their request is the timing of it. Jesus had just finished telling this man that he's going to Jerusalem to be betrayed, to be rejected, to be killed. Remember verse 33, 34? All these men can think about at this time is climbing to the top of the pile. All that they can see is their position on the totem pole. That Jesus is about to die for sin and they are playing who's on first. It is a cold-hearted, self-centered, unsympathetic request. So someone was complaining on Twitter um, about he supports his family. He sends uh, a couple of thousand rands every month, um, his, his um, um, mom and, 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 and siblings. And he does it joyfully. Um, uh, but he was complaining that they, they never check on him. Um, they, they never 
you know, say, hey, how are, how are you doing? What's, what's up? Um, never any of that. Um, he got sick, uh, went to hospital, was hospitalized for two weeks, and um, payday was coming. And they didn't know that he's in hospital. And, and when they call, uh, he tells them that he's been in hospital for two weeks. They say, yeah, but when, when is the money coming? Doesn't that pierce? And Jesus has been talking about the fact that he's going to Jerusalem to suffer. And all that they care about, all that they care about, is preeminence, proximity, power. That's what is occupying their minds at this time. Cold-hearted, self-centered, unsympathetic. These men never did grasp the idea that their leader, the Lord Jesus, was headed to a cross. All that they could see was the crown. They wanted the crown without the cross. They wanted the glory without the pain. They wanted the reward without having to pay the price. The problem with the disciples is the same problem people have today. Most people are not concerned with the glory of God. All they care about is finishing first. All they care about is their own power, their own position, their own prestige. The problem with the disciples and the problem with many of us is that we are filled with pride. Pride always leads to defeat. Pride always leads to the fall. I was what they call a fiery preacher in seminary. Um, and um, my, my lecturer, and which I appreciate him today, uh, uh, Mr. Odendorf, Willem's uh, cousin, Willem's cousin, um, said to me, he looked at me and said, you're a good preacher, but you know what kills good preachers? He said, pride. And you know what comes after pride? I never forget these words. He says, adultery. When you are at the top, Whatever your, your definition of top is, you think that everything can come as it may and God will just give you a, a green light for it. They wanted position, prestige, power. It was pride. What if God gets more glory from my finishing last The humble, submissive spirit will prevent many failures. Now look at the response from uh, in verse 38 and 39 from Jesus. Jesus responds by telling them that they have no idea what they are asking for. He confronts them by asking them if they are willing and are able to experience all that he is about to endure. When Jesus uses the word cup here, he's talking about a life experience. When he uses the word baptism in this context, he is referring to being submerged or immersed in that experience. Jesus is saying, I'm about to be immersed in an experience that you cannot imagine. Are you able to go through it too? 
they tell him that they can. But these men do not understand what awaits Jesus. Their response reveals a complete lack of understanding concerning what Jesus is about to suffer and, and, and of the load that he was sent to carry. Jesus is on his way to Calvary where he will bear the sins of his people on a Roman cross. Jesus is about to experience the undiluted wrath of God against sin and sinners. Jesus is about to die at the hands of the Heavenly Father. He's about to be crushed for our sins. He's about to bear the full wrath of God and become the propitiation, the, the wrath bearer. And yet they still don't understand. Now look at verse 39 and 40. We see the revelation here. Jesus opens their eyes. He tells them that they will experience his anguish to a degree. They will die for their faith. All of them, um, as we read history, died a martyr's death. They, they died for the faith. Well, with exception for John, um, he was exiled to Patmos and was greatly persecuted for his faith, but he died from old age. This man would walk the same road that Jesus walked, but they, 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 they could never endure what he was about to suffer. Jesus tells them that positions in the kingdom of God would not be given out based on selfish ambition, but according to the will of a sovereign God. I, 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 I spoke about the fact that we need elders here at the church. We need shepherds to carry the weight of ministry. One of the things that, that should characterize a leader is not selfish ambition. Wanting to be all and, and, and wanting to be seen everywhere. Wanting to, 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 to get first place in everything. An elder must be a seventh leader. Selfish ambition destroys a leader and leaves them. Um, you know, as as you you just you, you just see someone. You don't see how. They are wrecked spiritually. When, when pride enters a man, it destroys him in more ways than you can ever contemplate. That, that is why an elder, first and foremost, must be above reproach. Above reproach. Jesus tells them that positions in the kingdom would be given. They, they would not be given on selfish ambition, but according to the sovereign will of God. The same is true in life, isn't it? What a person receives in this world in terms of blessing, usefulness, and ministry are all determined by the will of God. They're all determined by the will of God. It is God who gives gifts. That is why we don't boast in our gifts, right? Right? It is God who gave those gifts. 
That is why we don't compete with those gifts, do we? We serve alongside one another. We want to uh, come and support each other. We want to use our strengths for, 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 uh, to complement areas where those strengths uh, are not in others. We want to team up and, and work together for the furtherance of the gospel, not for our own selfish ambition. We don't want to build images for ourselves. We want Christ to be the central point of our lives, central point of all, of all what we do. One of my lecturers, um, Steve Plodinek, in class, just came in the morning and he, he used to open windows when it was cold and he would come in and I don't know why that day he came to me and he looked at me, he just pointed me in the face. And he said, you will never be the next Billy Graham. That saved me a whole lot of things. It saved me more than I can ever think. I don't want to be the next Billy Graham. I want to be faithful to Christ. And honor him. And die. And be forgotten. And his name continue. I, I see preachers all the time who are trying to make a name for themselves. They are always joking for position. If they can just meet this preacher or preach in that meeting or preach in that church, then the doors will open and everything will fall into place. This is not how it works. God knows where his men are and he promotes them where he chooses and when he chooses and where he chooses, he blessed the person who serves, where they, they serve and allows the the, the, and allows him to, 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 to flourish where he is planted. Isn't that simple? Flourish where you are planted. My, my, my wife likes saying that ministry is not a, a, a step ladder. This is not like, uh, what do you call, the, the, you know, the secular world where you are gunning for position after position after position. Ministry is not like that. You're not gunning for the big church, the next big church, the next big church. Bloom where you are planted. Now, in verse 44, to, uh, verse 41 to 44, we, we saw with um, verse 35 to 40, a selfish petition. Now we see in verse 41 to 44, a somber proclamation the <laughs> the disciples the other disciples are hearing what James and John are saying and then verse 41 we see the irritation they are they are irritated when the the, the rest of the disciples heard about uh, this they, they, they became angry perhaps they were angry because these fellows were trying to promote themselves over the rest or just maybe they were angry because James and John beat them to the draw and asked Jesus first. Whatever the reason, they are steamed. Their reaction to what Jesus, James and John did is no better than the rest that the requests James and John made. That the ten hear what James and John did and they react by becoming angry. People don't always act like we think they should. And when they don't, it is easy to become offended with them. 
It is easy to allow anger to creep into our hearts. People offend us, and they will offend us, and will hold a grudge against, and, 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 and sometimes people hold a, a grudge against um, you, and you hold a grudge against them. We, we will put on the front of righteousness while our hearts are full of unforgiveness. Let, let me just remind you that God cannot work in that kind of environment. Where when, when, when there is a problem between the saints of God, it hinders the work of God in his church. God's will for us is to walk in absolute forgiveness. Forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 there are people in this room who may be hindering the work of God in this church because you won't forgive others you have hard feelings over events that occurred 5, 10, 20 years ago or more you, you need to get right with that person so you can be right with the Lord others need to seek forgiveness of those who you have offended when there are hard hearts and hurt feelings among God's people, there will be no power of God in the, uh, in the church of God. When there is that kind of situation, it tells me that we have allowed our relationship to become too fragile. If our relationships can be broken by misdeeds and misunderstandings, then they are too fragile. The Lord said that our relationships were to be marked by love. Isn't that what he says? That uh, this is a new commandment I give to you, John chapter 13, verse 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Uh, and by this, the world will see that you are my disciples. Not by your lovely singing. Not by your flowery sermons. Not by, you know, and other things that, that we do. It is when we love one another, isn't it? I'm supposed to love you with an unconditional, unfailing, unquestioning love. When I do, I can forgive you and walk with you as my brother or my sister. But when I do not love you like I should, I will hold the past over your head. When, when I'm not in... in in the ride with someone, and, and I realize uh, very quick when I cannot pray for them. When they come to mind and I don't know what to say about them. And I know uh, there's a problem here. The problem is not with you or what you have done. The problem is with me. My love is not right. Thus, my heart is not right. Verse 42, there's an examination that happens. The, Jesus doesn't allow their anger to simmer. He doesn't allow it to continue. He addresses the issue at hand and calls their attention to the Gentile world around them. He lets them know that the high seat seeking is the way of the world. Those who rule in this world rise to the top by grabbing power and oppressing their opponents. We, we see that mentality all around us in the world, don't we? You, 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 you follow politics for just a week, just a week, just a week. You, you'll notice that that is the modus operandi. The modus operandi is to go to the top by assassinating the character of the other. And it's unfortunate that it happens in churches as well. Jesus wants his disciples and us 
to understand that God has a higher goal for his children. And that, that is in verse 43 and 44. We see the expectation from Jesus here. Now, now let us look at it. Verse 43, he says, But it shall not be so among you. In other words, you must not lord it over one another. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. In these verses, Jesus simply restates an earlier teaching in Mark chapter 9, verse 33 to 37. Right? These men, when, when they asked about who is the greatest, and Jesus taught them that if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and seventh of all. This man didn't get the first message. And most of all, haven't gotten it either. Most of us haven't gotten it. But here it is again. Sometimes reputation is not the fact that you don't have anything more to say. It is because that those who are listening to you are not getting it yet. And so Jesus repeats himself in a different way. The Lord wants us to know that the path to the top leads through the bottom. If you really want to reach the top, you must start out at the bottom. If you really want to be a leader, you must first learn how to serve. Jesus uses two words here that are noteworthy. In verse 33, he uses the word servant. It is the word that gives us, it is the Greek word deacon. The word speaks of a person who serves others. The other word that Jesus uses is the word slave. It also means a servant, someone who serves on behalf of another. The, the, the idea is this. If we want to be recognized and respected, we must give up all ambition and selfishness. We must live out our days serving others. It means being willing to get none of the glory. It means being willing to do the most civil and menial task with no thought of receiving recognition or thanks. If we want to come out on the top, we must first start by being a slave. When Jesus spoke to his men about this issue earlier, in Mark chapter 9, verse 33 to 37, he used a child to teach them about service. We, we explained why a child, right? several reasons that we gave. First, a child in that society where the bottom of the social ladder, they were viewed as mere property and largely ignored by most adults. Secondly, Jesus used a child to teach his disciples about service because children really can't do anything for adults. A child can't enhance a person's position in society. A child cannot add to your success. A child can't make you more important in the eyes of the world. However, a child can teach you much about ministry. Think about it. Every parent in this room knows what happens when you have a new baby. That child demands everything. From day one, the child must be served. Every need must be met by a willing adult. Children come into our homes and they require constant care and attention. If they are ignored, they let you know all about it in loud and irritating ways. When parents have children, they learn what giving and service is all about. 
when that child is born, you give and you give and you give. Someone said, having a child is the most altruistic thing. And it's, it's the most unselfish thing. Because that child will not pay rent, will not help with anything. They are there, and they are there to be served. When that child is born, you give and you give and you give. When that child grows, you give and you give and you give. And often, even after they reach adulthood, you continue to give and you give and you give, often receiving nothing in return. Jesus used the child because children need to be served, and they cannot serve in return. That is a lesson we all need to take at heart. Too often, we all serve, we only serve those who can do something in return for us. The Lord would have us faithfully serve, selflessly serve others without giving a thought of what we might receive in return. If you are looking for respect, learn to serve. People respect those who serve them. Respect is end. It is never demanded. Far too many people want to be recognized for things they do. They want their pet, their pet on the back. They want to hear thank you and good job. And we must do that, shouldn't we? I'm not saying we should be people that are, you know, <laughs> thankless people. That when someone does something for you, you just say, no, just continue doing. We must express thanks and gratitude. But uh, uh, when, when, when we do things just because we expect a thank you and a good job, uh, oftentimes these people, they do what they do because they want to be recognized. They want to be recognized. They want to be seen. Sadly, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, they have their reward. Their only reward is that they are seen. Isn't that sad? Your only reward is an applause. When, when people in the church who could care less if they are ever recognized, as long as God, God's work is accomplished, we need people who can see beyond themselves to the needs of others. We need people who willingly become slaves so that others are served. We need people who will graciously step aside when the time is right so that others can serve. And that is what we need. It's what we need. And I'm glad it's what we have to some extent. Look at verse 45. There's a spiritual pattern. This is the last point, a spiritual pattern that Jesus gives. Jesus uses his impending sacrifice as the ultimate example of sacrificial service. He says the pattern for, of all his people that are, they are commanded to follow. The, 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 he uses the word even. It, it reminds us who Jesus is. He is the son of God. He is God in the flesh. If anyone who ever walked on this earth should have been served, it should have been Jesus. Right? If anyone deserved to be served, it was Jesus. He could have commanded legions of angels to do his every bidding. Instead, he walked many dusty uh, kilometers serving those around him. He could have come to this world as a king and been born in a palace with servants and great wealth. Instead, he was born in a stable and in abject poverty. He did not come to be served. He came to serve. If our God is willing to serve sinful humanity, we should be willing to serve as well. 
Some people think they are too good to serve others. Jesus Christ never thought that. He got down into the mud with fallen men so that he could lift him out and change his condition. May God give us that same heart to serve. Now look at the passion of Jesus Christ. That the Lord's passion to serve us was such that he willingly took the place of a slave. The greatest example of all that can be seen the night before he went to the cross. Remember that. If you know your Bible chronology, when Jesus and his disciples finished their meal in the upper room, Jesus put on a towel around his waist and washed his disciples' feet. John 13, verse 1 to 17. He took the place of a slave and washed the dirty feet of men who would run away before dawn. He washed the feet of Peter who would deny him three times before dawn. He even washed the feet of Judas Iscariot who would betray him into the hands of his enemies that very night. Look at Jesus taking the towel, the king of glory, the sovereign one of the universe who holds the world by his power, taking a towel, being a servant, a slave, going to his disciples one by one. After a day's journey, sweat, feet stink, dust all over, and he washes their feet. Look at the king of kings taking off his robe and putting on a towel. Look at the king of kings setting an example. Jesus freely served those who would break his heart. When the next day dawned, Jesus performed the greatest service of all when he went to Calvary, king of kings, taking off a crown of gold to put on a crown of thorns, king of kings, on the cross for sinners who hated him and wanted nothing to do with him, king of kings. Look at him as he stoops down from heaven, coming to earth to show the way as he walks in this world, being a servant of all. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve. And what? And give his life. King of kings. As a ransom for many. King of kings. Taking the place of a servant. Humbling himself to a point of death. Even death on a cross, king of kings. If the king of glory can do this, to serve a mere humanity that rebels against him, how much more we, one another, brothers and sisters, how much more we, service was his passion, service was his life. May that same passion grip our hearts May we freely take the place of slave and serve others for the glory of God alone. Now there was a price. Now look at the price. The price of service for Jesus was extremely high. It cost him his very life. Jesus willingly went to his death. 
to save those who cared nothing for him. He suffered the shame, the pain, the humiliation, the agony of the cross to serve lost sinners. He experienced the undiluted cross to serve lost sinners, the undiluted wrath of God to serve us. He took the place of a common criminal and was judged as a rebel so that sinners could be saved. He was willing and he willingly entered into death so that others might enter into life. Jesus faced death so that you can have life. Brothers and sisters, we who were served in the greatest way possible by the King of Kings who went to the cross for us can serve in lowly ways. We can serve one another. We can open our houses for one another. We can prepare our tables for one another. We can do each other's laundry. I'm telling you. We can go to our elderly and help them around the house. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you. We can prepare one meal for those who don't have it. For those who are not well, those who are sick, we can go and be with them, eat with them, sing with them, rejoice with them. We can pray for one another. Isn't that simple? We can be there for one another. It is not so much about the position that we have. I don't think we understand it so much. Away with your position. It doesn't matter what you are in, the, in, in, in terms of your position. It doesn't matter. You are first and foremost a child of God. First and foremost a child of God. And we can serve one another because of that. Amen? I'm just going to stop my sermon here. There's a lot to say, but I'm just going to stop it here and pray. May God help us as we think and ruminate over his word. Our dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you work in our hearts. We find oftentimes we seek to elevate ourselves. We seek higher positions. We seek to promote ourselves. We pray that you help us to be like Christ. To have this mind among ourselves of humility, counting others as more important than ourselves. Be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' person, let me pray. Amen.